Today's reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The word of the Lord. Thank you, David, for reading that. Uh, just one quick note that was mentioned at the beginning of the service. Today is a family service, so our kids are with us through the entirety of the service. Uh, we do have our nursery open, if you're wondering, as well as the pre-K kinder class slash room is open as well, if you have kids that you'd like uh, to be in that room. So this morning, we are taking a one-week break from our series on Genesis 1 through 11. This morning, the message will be on leadership in the church. So this morning... What is true of every sermon that, that I preach, and I'm feeling this uh, in an extra way this morning, is a sermon that I should first preach to myself. This is more directly and immediately true of this one. So this morning, I'm keenly aware of that, and as I uh, look at this passage together with you, and we look at it as a church family, this is very humbling. It's very convicting challenging, but also there is encouragement here as well. Why a sermon on leadership in the church now? The answer is that as a church, we're entering into a process starting today where we are asking the Lord to add to our team of elders, to our team of leaders. I'll share specific details about this later during the town hall meeting. But a sermon is necessary first for a few reasons. One, specific to our church, Trinity OC. Our church needs more elders, to state it plainly. Right now, there are two of us. Uh, there's myself and Eddie Hong. Prior to COVID, we did have a team of four elders and one assistant pastor. Um, and that was a few years ago now. And it's hard to get a picture or a sense of time, but that was back in, in 2019 prior to 2020. So in order for us to faithfully and effectively shepherd, oversee, and lead the church, our church family, we are asking God to raise up new elders. So this message for all of our church family will help you. That's why I'm taking time to do this teaching, to help you nominate elders. Why do we have elders again, and who should we nominate to be in these positions? This message will also help those who are nominated, and I'm trusting that there will be candidates who are nominated in the coming weeks to better understand the office and the role they are prayerfully considering. There's another reason, that's for us, that I believe this message is needed in our time. The church, capital C, the larger church, especially in the United States, or you could say even the Western world, is in the midst of 
a credibility crisis. A large part of this credibility crisis is due to the leadership of the church. If you do a search on Google, I don't know if I say that, people start searching as soon as I say it, but you could do that. You'll find a lot of articles. If you type in church credibility crisis, uh, there's more articles now than I think have ever been out there on pastoral crises, failures, failures in credibility, abuse of leadership in the church. And this is why this passage from 1 Peter is particularly relevant and important to us. We didn't get to look at the broader context of the letter. I know we're jumping right in to a New Testament epistle written by the Apostle Peter. But if you have a Bible or if it's, if it's near you or you want to pull it up on your phone, I want to encourage you to do so right now because I want to look at the context immediately preceding this passage in chapter 4. There, Peter is speaking uh, to the church as a whole. And what he says to them is this in chapter 4, verse 17. Don't be surprised, everyone, when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you. And a a few verses later, he says, don't be surprised because judgment begins with the household of God. That sounds very ominous, a little bit scary. This language is taken from the prophets. Most scholars believe this language in particular is taken from the prophet Ezekiel when he's speaking of a vision Ezekiel had of God judging not the nations first, but his own people, Israel first. And he says, start in the sanctuary, start in the house of God. And the very next verse in Ezekiel 9, verse 6 says, start with the elders. Peter is picking this up. And he's saying when God refines and purifies, he begins not with people outside of the church. Judgment begins with the household of God. He starts to refine and purify his people. So in my opinion, what's happening with the church If we can call it a credibility crisis, the church in our culture, conflict, divisions, disagreements within the church, people leaving the church, leaders falling and losing credibility, abuses of power that are being exposed, unholy alliances with political parties or ideologies. I believe all this stuff, in in the way that I see it, is converging together as a kind of fiery ordeal, refining and purifying us as Christians, as the church. It's causing us, it's causing me to ask, how much does our Christianity, how much does our church look like Jesus? Judgment begins with the household of God. This, as I said, is a reference from Ezekiel. And the next line was, start with the house of God. So they began with the elders. If there's a fiery ordeal, if there is a judgment, an elder in the church is somebody who says, start with me. Now, you might say, Eric, this is not a good way to begin a sermon if you hope to get more elders to be interested and to want to serve in this role. That's very intimidating, but I disagree. This is a great time 
in our cultural moment right now to become an elder and for our church to add and strengthen our team. As you nominate qualified candidates who will prayerfully say along with me, and I say this with fear and trembling, Eddie, I don't know if you're trembling yet, but Lord, Lord, if you are burning away things in the church, if you are burning away things and need to burn away things in our church, our Christianity that have nothing to do with Jesus and becoming more like him and being faithful to his mission and his kingdom, I want to be purified. I want to be refined first. Start with me. Burn away whatever is in me and in my life that needs to be burned so that I might be more like Jesus and lead more like Jesus. There's an image. I'll go ahead and ask Gavin to put it up. There it is, of fire. And again, that's, that is like, well, is that a good sales point for somebody who would be nominated to be an elder to say, step into the fire? But Peter says, this is the fire that refines us, that refines the church. And leaders are called to step into that fire first. Well, I want to look at two points here from the text. They're pretty simple. They're in your bulletin. Number one, there should be elders in the church. I want to uh, answer the question, why? And secondly, who should the elders in the church be? Peter speaks to the qualifications and the character of elders. First, there should be elders in the church. Why? Why should there be elders in the church? Why can't we just have like an organic and a free-flowing community where everyone's just here and we're all figuring out how to do life together and that sort of thing? Yeah, leadership can be abused and misused. That's true. So why? Well, first, reason number one, and you can put up this slide, Gavin, because God in his word has clearly revealed that in every church there should be elders. It should be deacons too, but this morning we're going to focus on elders. Here in 1 Peter, written by the Apostle Peter, one of the 12 apostles, one of the three closest disciples to Jesus, the one disciple that we could say is the senior leader of the early church. If you read Acts, it's very clear. The one to whom Jesus said, using his name, you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Right here, this very same Peter says in verse 1, not, guys, I'm the leader. I'm stepping in to write this letter to tell you what to do and to take control and to use my authority. No, he doesn't say that at all. He says, I am writing to the elders of this church as a fellow elder. Do you see that in verse 1? This is profound in its meaning. It means that Peter... The leadership that Peter was given for the church is a leadership that should be carried on in every specific church by a group of leaders he calls elders. These leaders are called to shepherd and oversee the church. This is not only taught here in 1 Peter, but many places in the New Testament. You can go to Philippians 1 where elders and deacons are mentioned. You can look at Ephesians 4. You can look at 1 Timothy 3, which is also printed in your bulletin, Titus 1, throughout Acts in many places, and of course this text as well. The Bible gives us a structure for the leadership of the church. Second reason. Why should there be elders in the church? 
because we, and that we means everyone, all of us, including those who are called to the office of elder or pastor, we all need shepherds. And the image here that's embedded in the text, and it's throughout 1 Peter, is an image that is not at all flattering. It's actually very offensive if we understand what this is saying. Every Christian needs shepherding because every Christian is a sheep. Those images go together. Together, if you see how Peter describes the church in verse 2, he says you're a flock. You're God's flock. And that sounds very tender and and kind of just comforting and that sort of thing when you picture a flock. But the reality is very humbling. Peter uses the same imagery in chapter 2. We read this in our liturgy this morning. He says, you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Now, if Peter says we are still a flock here in verse uh, 2 of chapter 5, then the implication is, We are still sheep. When we become a Christian, we don't outgrow our sheepiness. We remain sheep. And the implication is, as Christians, we still go astray. And we need to return to Jesus again and again. We just sang it together, prone to wander. We are prone to leave the God we love. The image of a sheep means each one of us, we we do wander. We are prone to that. We are vulnerable. Sheep are very vulnerable creatures. And we are susceptible to a herd mentality. There is a very sad and unfortunate story that I have to share to illustrate this uh, to you from 2015. It happened in Turkey. One sheep jumped off a cliff. I know parents are going to use this story a lot for their kids. And 1,500 sheep followed that one sheep off of the cliff. This is in, it's on the internet. Again, it's true because it's on the internet. It's there. It happened in Turkey. But there is good news because not all 1,500 sheep died because the last like 550 of them landed on a soft billowy pile (laughs) to break their fall. And that is sad, (laughs) tragic, And kind of funny. But when the Bible says we are sheep, it's saying this is what can happen to us. We can have this hurt mentality. We can run off and wander away from Jesus, not even realizing it, just because everybody else is moving in that direction. We are vulnerable. We are foolish. On our own, we cannot stay close to the shepherd. Because this is true, Jesus, the chief shepherd, raises up under shepherds who know they are sheep, they know their own weakness, vulnerability, and wandering, who know the role of an under shepherd is to lead and point and direct people back time and time again to Jesus, the chief shepherd. Third reason. We all need the accountability, wisdom, and safety of team leadership. Notice here, Peter says, I'm not writing to my fellow elder or some type of solo leader in this church. He is writing to elders. What every church needs, it's clear, is a team of elders. Again, Peter was clearly the top leader of the early church, but here he doesn't appeal to his rank or some kind of authority he had or a hierarchy 
that he was in over everyone. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. Really, there's no clearer. There's no stronger way that Peter or the New Testament could tell us leadership in the church is a team effort. It's meant to be team leadership. Peter says, guys, I'm a fellow team member. I'm on the team. I'm a part of the team. The Bible does not support a CEO type of model of church leadership where there's a lead pastor with a board on the side or any such model. Certainly, there can be a distinction in roles and function of elders, but as far as authority goes, as far as power goes, as far as decision-making goes and accountability, this is to be shared as a team. The terms for this office in the New Testament, elder, overseer, and shepherd, are all used to describe the same role and the same team members in the New Testament. Not a specific person who is distinct from that team. The passage here is one example where they're all used together. If you look at this, Peter says, I exhort the elders. There's that term in verse 1. He says these elders are to shepherd. The other way to translate that word is pastor. It's where we get the term pastor. Elder, shepherd, pastor, same person. Same team members. And he says, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly. That term for overseer there is, in the Greek, episkopos. You heard of the Episcopalian church. That is the term for bishop or overseer. So the bishop and the elder and the shepherd are the same person who are all doing this work as a team. These terms are significant. We can't go into depth into these right now, but... The term elder speaks to wisdom and character. I mean, literally, the word is old man, old guy. But it's not just talking about age, the number of years you've lived. It's talking about the depth of maturity. Are you old in the faith, old in the gospel? Overseer speaks to the function of leadership and direction and decision-making. And shepherd speaks to the love and the care, and the guidance that each of these team members shares together. So taking all of that together, a church cannot thrive. It cannot flourish. It cannot be a fruitful community of Jesus' followers apart from a healthy and faithful team of elders. When this team is not in place and not growing, a church should do all that it can to move towards putting this team into place and to grow it. So, application for us. There is context and background. There is a whole story here of what I'm, what I'm about to say, behind of, uh, what I'm about to share. But Trinity, our church, we've been around for about 25 years. That's our history. And this will be our third round of elder nominations in that history. So, again, there's a story there. There's background that I'd be happy to share with you, but that's not a lot. It's not many times of doing this. So this is a very significant and important moment in the life of our church. For our current health and the long-term health and mission of our church in Orange County, one of the, if not the most important thing and priority for us now is to seek the Lord together that he might add to our team of elders and begin a pipeline of elders for the future. 
If you look at the cross-reference there that I have in the bulletin, it's from 1 Timothy chapter 3. He's, uh, this is the Apostle Paul now writing. He says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer or an elder, again, interchangeable, he desires a noble work. So Paul is saying here, it's something he's about to say. He's like, I want your attention. This is reliable. This is trustworthy. You can and should bank on this. Since there should be elders in the church for it to be healthy and strong, to aspire to be an elder or an overseer is to desire a good thing, a noble work, an excellent thing. Now, just look at those qualifications with me for a moment in 1 Timothy 3, since we're looking at this text. Above reproach, the husband of one wife, Self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, managing his own household competently, having his own children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his household, how will he take care of God's church? And not a new convert, or else he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. He must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. Well, there's a lot there, and it's pretty intimidating. But some of you will be nominated for this office. And though it is intimidating, though myself in reading this, anybody who reads this is, is going to ask the question, am I there? Do I measure up? What areas do I feel like this challenges me and convicts me in? Though it is intimidating, though no one 100% is the perfect person who always fulfills these every single moment of their lives because we are all broken and sinful. Knowing that there is this fearful, trembling reality to examining our own lives in light of these qualifications. At the same time, those of you who will be nominated, I want to encourage you that to aspire to it, to desire it, to be a leader like this, to be mature like this, to be healthy and Christ-like like this, and to do it not just for yourself, but for the sake of the people God has called you into a church community with is a good thing. So I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but those of you who will be nominated, I want to encourage you to desire it, to think about how God might be using this process and this nomination to grow you further into this. So that is why we need elders. Secondly, I've already kind of gone there with 1 Timothy 3. I want to talk about who the elders of the church should be. Because this passage not only tells us that there should be elders in a church, it tells us who they should be. As Peter gives us this description, if you look here, especially at verses 2 and 3, he says, this is how the elders are to shepherd and to oversee, and how they are not to. He gives us these three contrasts in verses 2 and 3. And from this, we get a picture we get a picture of the character. We get a picture of the life and the person of who an elder should be. So let's look at these three contrasts briefly. One, Peter says, you should oversee not out of compulsion, but willingly, according to God or as God would have you. Quality number one, this is who we are to look for. Not someone who has to, but someone who wants to. 
No one wants to be led by leaders who are just doing their duty. We want to be led by leaders who are doing it willingly, joyfully. How do you know if someone's like that? I think one way we can tell is look for people who are already shepherding. They're already caring. They're willing to step in and serve in our church community. They're willing to use their teaching gifts, their leadership gifts for a church without the title, without the position, without the status. They're doing it willingly. Second quality. Not someone who is looking to gain from the position, but to eagerly give from the position. Peter says, not greedy for gain, but eagerly. It can be translated eager to be of service. This is not someone who is looking for the gain of money. We could even expand that to include gaining status, gaining respect, gaining position or power in the community. Wreckage follows the elder who is eager to gain something from the people he is called to give himself away to. And there are many, many examples and stories of this. How do you know that a person is like this? Well, maybe you can observe them and you have observed them and you say, what makes this person eager? Are they eager to hear themselves speak? Are they eager to get their idea and their agenda across in a group? Are they eager to win an argument? Are they eager to control the conversation in a group? Or are they eager to listen to the needs of other people? Listen to the stories of other people, the hurts and the brokenness of others, and eager to serve and help far more than to critique or complain. Let's look at the third quality. Not someone who leads by the authority of their position, but by the maturity and thus authority of their example. Peter says, elder and shepherd, not lording it over those who are entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. Being an example. You look again at the qualifications there in 1 Timothy 3. These are all qualifications, if you look at these, of being, of character, of who a person is. There's only one skill-based qualification. In 1 Timothy, and really in all these qualifications in the Bible when it comes to elder, that is the ability to teach. Everything else has to do with character. Who a person is becoming, not what they can do, not the skills they have, not the status they have in other positions in their job or etc. This is why qualifications of secular leadership do not necessarily translate into the qualifications of spiritual leadership because we see here there is an emphasis on being, overdoing. How do you know if someone is like this? Well, one way that I've thought about putting it is like this. If you look at somebody and say, this is someone whom I'd love for my friend or family member who doesn't know Jesus to meet and to spend time with, because if they do, they'll see an example. Of course, imperfect, but they'll see an example of who Jesus is and what it means to know him and follow him. As Peter goes on, what we see happen here is when there is a team of leaders like this in a church, 
when a church is led by elders like this, then it is very clear to everyone who the real leader is in the church, who the chief shepherd is in the church. This morning when I was pulling out of my neighborhood, I just hit it right at the right time. I was pulling out uh, onto the street and these like five sports cars, they were going fast. I think they were Corvettes. I don't know. There was like five of them all together. And so they were like out to do their riding, you know, and racing and all that. And then right after these five Corvettes, there was this other car that you could, I could tell. They were, he was trying to keep up. I don't know if it was a man or a woman driving, but they were trying to keep up with these five Corvettes as they were zooming past. And it was in a Toyota Corolla. And so I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> like, you're not going to be first. And I share that because that's how silly it is in the body of Christ for a human leader or a human team of leaders to say, it's about our agenda here. It's about our vision. It's about our mission. It's about us. Friends, the elders of the church should be leaders who know their main job is to get people and to get the church as a whole to Jesus, the chief shepherd for his care, his guidance again and again and again and again. There's only one way to become this kind of shepherd and leader, and that is to be shepherded, to be led by a shepherd leader like this. A leader who is never burdened out of a sense of duty, but always willing, always joyful when there is a new need brought to their attention, when there is a burden that someone has. This leader never says, again? Really? Because I was going to watch this show, but now I have to attend to this never resenting our needs, never resenting our sheepiness, a leader who never uses or abuses anyone for gain, but is always eager to serve for the well-being of other people, a leader who never lords it over anyone, ever, but is a model of loving service, who will give their life away, who will die so that others might live. Peter tells us who this leader is. It is Jesus, the, sh- the chief shepherd, the ark shepherd, the clear leader, the leader of his church, the rightful king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus Christ. How does he lead us? How does he lead us when we go astray? when we need guidance, when we are hurting, when we are broken, when we need healing, when we are bearing our shame and guilt over our own failures and sin. Peter told us a few chapters earlier. In chapter 2, he said, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were all like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the leadership. This is the shepherding. This is the only leader. This is the only shepherd that can.
can teach us to become leaders like are described here and in the New Testament. So under shepherds in the church, they know they are sinners. They know they are wounded and they know because of this they often go astray. But they also know time and time again that Jesus, their shepherd, bore their sins. By the wounds of Jesus, they are healed. And they return to him again and again and again to his care, to his pursuing and sacrificial love. So that more and more and more of their life is given over to the leadership of Jesus. Being led by Jesus, they learn how to lead others to Jesus. One final thought on this. Okay. We might all say, I want, I want to lead like that. I want to be like that. I know something maybe of that leadership of Jesus, but how does it get so deep into our hearts that it forms the way not only that we relate to Jesus, but to the other people that we are called to lead? I think Peter gives us the answer here. It's in the last few verses. Verses 5 and 6. He's giving instruction to the whole church, but he's thinking about the elders here when he says, in the same way you are younger, be subject to the elders, but all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humility. If you know the story of Peter, you might remember when he was commissioned as a shepherd. You remember when that was? It's when he was humble. At his lowest, after he had denied Jesus Christ three times. Peter had natural leadership gifts. You see it everywhere in the stories of the Gospels. He had confidence. He had brashness. He had the sense in the moment, I know what to do. I'm going to speak first. Here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to say. Here's where we're going to go. He had courage. But he wasn't ready to be commissioned as a shepherd until he was humbled. And there he discovered the core qualification of humility. God opposes proud leaders. God opposes proud members. God opposes proud churches. A church that thinks it's doing things better than other churches, God opposes that church. A church that is always pointing out the errors in other churches, in doctrine or practice or behavior of other people, God is opposed to that church. Churches filled with people who are pridefully criticizing or complaining, saying, if I was in charge, I'd do things much better than them. God is opposed to proud leaders, proud elders, elders who do not realize they are, as the Apostle Paul said, the chief of sinners, not the chief shepherd. That their agenda is not the agenda. It is his agenda. Elders who presume that they know what people need and who think all other Christians need to get their act together. Elders who forget in any way that they are sheep. God is opposed to these kinds of elders. And so there is a prerequisite for becoming an elder in the church, and that is a humbling if you look at the rest of the passage in 1 Peter as he goes on, verse 7 on into verse 11, 
he presses this home by saying, do you know by experience that God cares for you at your worst and most humbled moments? He speaks about our adversary, the devil, who's roaring around like a lion who seeks to feed your pride, to use your suffering to isolate you and discourage you. Have you ever been brought so low that you knew your only hope of getting back up was God himself if he would establish, strengthen, confirm, establish, and support you? If you do not know what that's like and never experienced it, and don't realize that in life you will be there again, you will be humble, then you are not yet qualified to be a leader in the church of Jesus Christ, to care for people who will suffer be humbled and need the care of a humble leader. So as we move forward in this process, it's a very different job interview to become a leader in the church. In the secular world, in most positions, you sit down in an interview and they say, point us to your accomplishments. What have you done? Show me your resume. Show me your success. Put your talents out there so we can see it and be wowed. Instead, In the church of Jesus Christ, we say, point us to your weaknesses. Point us to your humiliations. Point us to your failures, your anxieties. And tell us about how God himself met you to strengthen, lift you up, uphold you, support you, and reestablish you as the God of all grace. This is who the elders of the church are should be because this is who the shepherd of the church is. So friends, as we embark on this process together, I'm going to pray now, but I want to invite you to be praying with me, with me and Eddie, that Jesus, the chief shepherd, would raise up elders like this in our church. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, our chief shepherd, we thank you for this text. It's very humbling to me. It's very challenging to me to know there's a fire. There's this call to suffer, to lay down my life, the life of those who are called into leadership in the church, to step into the fire, to be refined, to serve. Realize, Lord, that this is a holy responsibility That there is a fire that comes with eldership, but Jesus, you tell us here there's also a crown, an unfading crown of glory. And so I pray for myself right now and Eddie and all who you might raise up to serve as elders in your church to have this crown in mind, that by your grace you would humble us and raise up humble elders in the church that we might, if we do, have to make sacrifices and carry burdens and continually step in the fire, that we would become more like you, Jesus, and more and more humble to realize it's not about us to come again and again ourselves to the end of ourselves, that we might be filled with you and with your Holy Spirit. I pray that whatever those sacrifices are ahead, that you would raise up Elders in this church who'd be willing to lay down their lives and one day to receive that unfading crown of glory. 
And I pray for all of us, for your sheep, for all of us here this morning in need of tending, redirecting, binding up of our wounds, the lifting of our shame and in our guilt, the comfort that we need in the trials and the difficulties that we are facing. And I ask right now that you would encourage us, your sheep, that you will never leave nor forsake us, and that you will by no wise never drive away any who come to you. You say your sheep will know your voice. And Lord Jesus, may your voice of tenderness, grace, compassion, and comfort be clear to all of us this morning. We ask it in your name. Amen.